welcome to the DQMH podcast brought to you by Wired in Software. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Wired in Software. Today, I have uh, three of Wired in Software engineers joining us today. Uh, we're going to talk about our experience with DQMH, and we're re- really excited to have this discussion with you guys. Today, I have joining us Stuart Trevelyan. Stuart and I have worked t- together for over 20 years on and off, and uh, we learnt LabVIEW together um, a long time ago. Uh, I'm really excited to have Stuart with us today. Stuart, welcome. Thank you. We also have Kim Bentley. Kim is a, our senior systems engineer, and uh, Kim and I have also been working together on and off for 13 years, but he's been working with me at Wired In for the past four or five years. Welcome, Kim. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And also joining us today, we have Parag Panchal. Parag is an experienced LabVIEW developer, and we've known, we've known each other for oh, 10, 12 years now, been working in the LabVIEW community. Uh, Parag joined our team in October last year and um, rapidly learning DQMH. Welcome to the show, Parag. Thank you, Chris. And of course, uh, there's me. My name's Chris Farmer. I am the Wired in Software founder and DQMH podcast host. Guys, thanks for, for being here. It's, uh, it's a, exciting to have my own team on the podcast. Uh, so what we're going to do, I thought we'd, I'd give you guys a chance to just quickly give introduce yourselves and, and tell us your background. Let's start with you, Stuart. Okay, well, uh, as Chris said, my name's Stuart. I've been working in LabVIEW actually before I met Chris, which was 20-odd years ago. Started probably back in uh, LabVIEW 4, version 4 or 5 days, actually working on the Atlas detector for the Large Hadron Collider, actually, at the University of Melbourne. Um, so it was pretty high nice. uh, standard start. Um, since then, been working in um, other industries such as defence, uh, automotive, manufacturing, so forth, um, just picking up more and more LabVIEW skills as I go. And DQMH is uh, something that I picked up um, probably about 18 months ago, I guess. And yeah, look, I, f- I found it to be a very beneficial tool, uh, which I'm sure we'll be discussing more of as the uh, podcast goes on. Thanks, Stuart. I like Stuart's uh, little catch cry too, that he often um, refers to himself where he Stuart turns caffeine into LabVIEW. All right. Now let's talk to you, Kim. Tell us about your background. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I've basically come from electronics engineering in my earlier part of my career, then worked with mechanical engineering and electronics, and then more recently software development with LabVIEW over the last five years. Um, working with with uh, Chris, I found DQMH. I've been using DQMH for four years, and and found it to be a great environment and platform for for software development, which um, I'm, we'll, we'll expand on uh, throughout this talk. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks, Kim and Parag. Do you want to introduce yourself, please? Yeah. Hi. Um as uh, Chris uh, introduced me, uh, I'm Parak Panchal. My background is instrumentation control. Early part of my career, I started with uh, industrial automation. And when I uh, moved to Australia, I was introduced to LabVIEW. So I'm using LabVIEW since 2007. For, with DQMH, I, I got introduced to DQMH when I started working at uh, Wardin Software uh, about six months back. All right, Chris, I think it's time for you to um, tell everyone a little bit about Wide in Software. Thanks, Kim. Thanks. Uh, I thought you'd never ask. So, at Wide in Software is uh, a national instruments alliance partner. We're based in Melbourne, Australia, uh, established in 2013. At Wide in, we're passionate about a test measurement and control challenge. We're constantly being faced with new challenges and new opportunities in a variety of different industries and it keeps us all on our toes and, and we love it. 
if you were to sort of nail it down to a niche, though, we're, we're, we're all about high-tech functional test system development for complex electronic products. Our target market, our, the, our, the clients that we work closely with could be a product designer or a production manager or maybe a test system engineer. And typically, these guys are going to be having issues with it could be you know manual testing, which is often slow and repetitive or inaccurate. Um, they may have issues with existing test solutions. It could be unreliable or obsolete hardware. They might be lacking the internal resources to build a good functional tester. Or they just also want to build an enduring technology partnership with a supplier that can, that can be there for the long haul in, in their test requirements. So they're the sort of people we, we help. And our solution for that is building high-tech, sophisticated functional testers. And I think our solutions go a fair bit beyond a typical functional circuit tester. They, they not only perform functional tests, but we're also including a lot of advanced hardware in the loop to simulate product context. We're also leveraging automated motion and vision to perform sophisticated product assembly and calibration, such as calibrating accelerometers, aligning lasers and images. We, we're always having to communicate to a product in a variety of different protocols. So it's more than just a functional tester. It's, it's usually quite a complex engineering challenge. Uh, and that's what we thrive on. We're also got a number of other areas, but that's our main our main niche. The other areas we also work on are monitoring systems and, and industrial Internet of Things. We also have solutions in the hardware in the loop firmware verification test systems, and also we we do machine control or control systems. Every one of these areas comes back to being based on NI LabVIEW. LabVIEW is our bread and butter, and that is our core skill. So with with the introductions and the background out of the way, I think what I'd like to do is sort of start to dig in a little bit about why we decided to use DQMH. Yeah, uh, basically we, um, you know, we were coming across the same issues with our projects in that we had, you know, multiple developers working on a project at a time and... We, we were looking for a, a platform that would enable us to just to, to, to have you know, more than one developer. We wanted a platform that would enable us to move away from our, our own custom frameworks that were, were sometimes getting pushed beyond their you know, their, their limits. And um, yeah. so, so we wanted something a bit more uniform to fall back on. And, and that was the, the main driver as to why we... Looked for looked for another uh, platform to work with. Yeah, and it's a similar story actually. Um, everyone says that same thing. They people were looking for a platform that 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 they could rely on. That you know that we could create some consistency across the the, the organization, right? Certainly, as the the companies grow bigger and you have more developers on board, everyone just naturally has their own programming style and they all have their own way of doing things and um, being able to fall back on a on a, a standardized framework allows for um, greater consistency across um, across the organization uh, with your development team and uh, no one's getting lost in someone else's programming technique yeah that's that's a that's a really big important point uh, I think when we first were looking at it too we we, we we had a look at uh, a few different frameworks that were around. This is sort of late 2016 when we first stumbled upon it. And, you know, I was looking at Acta Framework and we were also looking at DQMH and we had Karina from Invisenge uh, working with us on some projects as well at the time. And she, um, she went and did some investigations into both of those and came back and said, look, for the, for the current team capability, the DQMH is probably going to be better suited. Active Framework is heavily object-oriented and we weren't quite ready for, for that. So DQMH fit our needs really well. Thanks, guys, for giving us a bit of background there. So next I wanted to talk about then what application types we think DQMH is well suited for. Uh, and, and, and so we'll go around the table and, and have a discussion about the different types of applications 
Um, Stuart, why don't we start with you? Uh, we're currently building some you know, functional test systems for a, a couple of clients. And in that system, we're using Test Stand and DQMH. Can you tell us about um, why DQMH is a good fit in that situation? Yeah, well, the, <clears throat> we're using DQMH, um, as you say, in a, in a test stand environment. But the, the DQMH um, projects, if you like, uh, we can, we're broadly applying those in two areas. One is um, hardware drivers. And uh, the other one is um, in the operator interface, um, uh, which sits on top of the test stand uh, runtime engine. Um, using DQMH for the for the hardware drivers allows us to essentially develop those standalone and and test the the interface to the to the hardware the unit under test all of the measurement devices and so forth completely independently of the test stand environment and just using the the standard um, DQMH API, the requests and response, it just allows you to, to integrate it directly as uh, just normal test steps, as actions within the test stand sequence. I have to say, <clears throat> just with regards to that, that um, if you want a good example of that, just have a look at uh, Delacour's thermal chamber examples, because it just shows um, yeah. you know, how, how straightforward it is to integrate. The other side is um, on the operator interface. With the <clears throat> excuse me, the GUI that we we developed that was uh, a purely DQMH architected project. Yes. And uh, all we needed to do really was just integrate the. Uh, well, when I say all we needed to do, um, we needed to integrate the the test stand API, and um, we used the um, the out of the box uh, examples that test stand provides as the basis for that, but um, we were just able to build on that by uh, creating a DQMH-based user interface. Yeah. yeah. So uh, for me, what I noticed with, with using DQMH with TestStand, uh, you've got that extra capability to the tools that come with DQMH while you're running in TestStand um, allows allows you to like run the tester or or you know, look at the front panel of your DQMH module and and get more of a sense of what's going on under the hood. That, That's right. That is not always um, easy to do with just going with standard LabVIEW VIs. Yeah. One thing I should probably add to that as well is the fact that we, um, uh, the application um, or the project specifically required us to be testing devices in parallel. So the the clonable aspect of um, of DQMH allowed us to use the parallel process model of test and to open up uh, multiple clones of the same of the same hardware driver and um, and use use those as well. That that worked uh, an absolute treat. Yeah, that as that is actually a very very critical feature for for what we needed to do for our latest client. So good point. Thanks, Stuart. All right, so next we're going to talk to Kim. So, Kim, tell us about some of the applications you've been doing, uh, you know, like the control systems or the machine machine control software systems, and why why is DQMH well-suited to those applications? I guess um, the, the, I know that uh, some, some of what I'm going to say is going to be expanded upon a little bit later, but what, one of the things is that it, you, it enables you to design because it's it, you know you've got your different modules, your DQMH modules. You're able to design your your software, you know, in, in a way that you know it's very clear as to you know what each module is is its function functionality. Um, so you've got very clear demarcation of functionality within your design. As far as the control Definitely. systems go. It just simplifies things greatly, and and again, like what Chris, what uh, Stuart was saying about um, the different l levels of your of your design, where you're talking to actual instruments with certain modules, uh, it just makes it so simple that you know you can you can just get that module working correctly uh, with 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 those instruments, and um, and and then you know move move up in your in your module hierarchy and and work on 
on other modules. It's very easy to bring your project together and to and to to, to, to understand it's the, the flow of of um, of data between modules. Um, yeah, well spoken. Um, I like that. Yeah, we. Um, it, I mean, this is something that. Uh, it also allows, um, because you've got these individual modules, it's very easy to break up um, the tasks within a team so that individual team members are working on specific modules. And because they're working, hmm. if, a, if a team member is working on a specific module on, on, you know, solely, um, it's very easy to, to manage the, the, the integration of the, of the different modules in, in, the, in the development in terms of, um, you know, source code control and aspects like that where, you know, you don't have developers stepping on each other's toes. It, it makes it much simpler. Great points, Kim. Thank you. So, Parag, you're pretty new to DQMH, right? I mean, you started learning it yep. in October. Yes. Um, so, you've only got the one project to be able to talk to at the moment, but give us a bit of an insight about the project you're doing right now. You're building a verification test system for, for firmware. Yep. So, tell us about that and how you're using DQMH. Yeah, sure. So, I started working on firmware verification test system using DQMH, and as I work more on DQMH, it's uh, very exciting uh, framework to work on, uh, and I'm loving it. That's great so to the hear. Project, project involves verifying the IoT product firmware and integrating, because it's an IoT product, it, it basically communicates to the uh, backend server, cloud server. And so the test system involves interfacing DQMS modules to the web service to ingest those uh, HTTP post uh, request messages from the from the device. And also to generate the stimulus, DQMS um, modules need to interface to Veristand uh, as well. And my experience is that the process is seamless. It's very easy to integrate to web services and process those uh, HTTP post requests, and also using LabVIEW Veristand API integrate to Veristand. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm, um, it's good to hear that that's coming along. So, guys, th there's some good application types there in DQMH. We could talk about that for hours. But tell me, what are the advantages then that DQMH brings for these sorts of applications? For, so, let me start. For me... The one, the one thing I love about DQMH and, and doing our applications, I think Kim touched on it a little bit before, is um, parallel development and, and, and the ability to develop at speed. So the two points there, parallel development, because you're breaking everything up into modules, it's very easy to distribute your work across a, a, a team of multiple developers. Um, you might have one person doing the a device driver and then another person working on a database module and then someone working on the high level application working together in parallel without having to to stand on each other's toes from a source code control management perspective is, is a really powerful concept and the other thing is developing at speed by starting with a dqmh module you're not starting with a blank canvas or a blank VI. You're starting with a framework that has a whole lot of hooks and ideas and and great programming concepts straight away. So you, you, you're not having to rethink those things. They're there from the beginning. And I think that's a really important aspect of DQMH. So uh, Parag, what do you see are the advantages that DQMH brings for your applications? Uh, the most uh, advantage uh, stand out to me when I started using DQMH was its ability to test different modules. Uh, test API is built into the DQMH as out of box, and it's very easy to test your individual modules. And once you validate your individual modules, it gets very easy to integrate all your modules as an application. So that's something I really... Uh, value in the DKMH framework. and You're not alone that, on that one, Parag. You're not yeah, alone on that. That, that also uh, not only reduces your efforts on the testing part of it, but it, it helps you uh, 
uh, get more efficient and reduce overall development time as well. For sure. Kim, what what do you see as the main advantages of the DKMH brings to our applications? I think uh, what what both you and Prague have said uh, are pretty good, but I also uh, it, it, because you're working with a standard framework, just allows the developers within you know, the organisation to work with other projects that they necessarily haven't haven't been involved with. They can jump in, they can they understand you know the architecture. Um, straight up and um, they're already you know halfway along the journey of understanding the application that some other developers have written so it's um, it's a big advantage it just just allows that uniformity of 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 work within the, the, the software development teams yeah good points what about you Stuart uh, well, I completely agree with um, what Prague and Kim have already said and yourself, Chris, but um, I think in, in addition to that, there's the, um, <coughs> excuse me, the scripting tools that uh, have been included in the, in the toolkit, um, things like just the creation of the modules, which is, you know, a, a pretty fundamental feature of DQMH, but um, the amount of development time that that, that, that saves is... Um, really phenomenal. Um, there was a project that I did uh, maybe five years ago that uh, this was before I was even aware that DKMH existed um, mm. and it turned out that I was actually trying to do something similar um, to what to what DKMH is actually doing now um, which was um, a modular type of architecture with um, with messaging between those modules and I was back and forth and it never Never quite worked. It, um, it worked, but it never. It wasn't. It was never as robust as what it should have been. Mm. And as soon as I saw DQMH, I thought, "Look, this, this is what I needed right from the beginning." It was um, the the thing that I don't need to worry about the messaging. I don't need to worry about uh, generation of uh, of the modules itself. DQMH, you just um, press a, a few menu items, select a few menu items, and and there it all is. Um, and in addition to that, you've got um, uh, the validation tool as well. I think all of us have, have been through that uh, experience where, um, you know, you're yeah. in the process of development, you make a mistake here or you, or you forget something, and just being able to run that validation tool um, and just pick up on those, it picks up on those things that, uh, yeah, forgot about that, or... Um, I didn't. I didn't set that correctly, or whatever. So that that's certainly one thing that I've I've found very uh, advantageous by using DQMH. Yeah, good, Stuart. Thank you. So let's talk then about the DQMH design process, or let's talk about how we, as a company at Wide In, uh, go about our software application design with DQMH front and centre. Perhaps uh, we start with Prague. Do you want to start with the module hierarchy concept or the block diagram? Sure. So first uh, thing is to, when we have a project, we look at the requirements and then break up features of the system into different modules hierarchy. Yeah. And then deciding uh, parents and children modules. And also to we ensure that you know the hierarchy is in a such a way that we can also use the individual module uh, in other projects as well so we try to maintain as much as loose coupling as possible between different modules so they yeah, are independent and then they are use uh, they they are reusable as well yeah i like that so, so that's the first step in the design process uh, what does that look like, Parag? What's our what's our document that we produce there? It's like, what what tool are you using for that? Sure. So, uh, I use uh, Draw IO tool to graphically come up with the block diagram of different DQMH modules we need to develop, and then interconnection between them. So it gives you visual representation of what we need to develop as an application. Yeah. 
to me, that's the most important picture that I want to see in every project, that that block diagram, that module hierarchy, because we can all just go back to that picture and go, well, you're working on that, I'm working on that, or how does this module talk to that one? And it's just, yeah, it's it's so critical. It's a simple picture, but it's such an important plan, if you will. The next step is then we, we put together, we, we define our messaging architecture. Stuart, can you elaborate? Yeah, this is a, a spreadsheet that um, it's just, we start with a template um, where uh, we've got defined columns and checklists, and the whole point of it is to is to define the messages, the the requests, um, uh, the replies, the the broadcasts for each of the modules that we've got in our um, in our hierarchy. Um, it allows us to to plan out our messages before we actually start implementing them. Um, if we've already got the the workflow in mind uh, for the for the application, we've got a pretty good idea of what it is that which messages we need to, uh, which requests we need to make of each um, module, which broadcasts each each module needs to uh, each module needs to make, and we can um, have a cross reference with other modules so that we can maintain that spreadsheet throughout the life cycle of the project and we can we can see what the destinations or the intended destinations of um, the the broadcasts are for example and um, we can uh, we can uh, as I say we're maintaining the spreadsheet so we can progressively see that uh, we've actually integrated those those messages in the modules as we go yeah thanks Stuart so those that the, We've got the block diagram or the module hierarchy that Parag talked about, and then we've got a spreadsheet that shows all the messages, talks to the detail that the block diagram doesn't show. Um, so those two things. Once we've got those two things established, we're pretty much ready to start creating our um, project. Kim, what's the next step? Okay, Tell well, well, there's a couple of ways that we go about it if... Um Sometimes we've got uh, we, we can make use of a, a project template um, from from the past um, that we can base our project on, um, and if we go down that path, then we're basically adding um, adding new modules that we would would need for that project by creating them through the DQMH tools, and mm-hmm. and you know removing whatever modules we don't need or if we're not starting from a project template and we're developing the project from scratch, then we're literally step-by-step step going through and creating each module um, as you know, one after the other. And then once we've created the modules, we go in and actually start to create the individual uh, message events that are associated with each module that, that, uh, that, that the module owns. That, and, that and has been defined. That's sorry, been defined in the actual message yep. architecture spreadsheet, and yeah, and uh, and move move on from there with the more detailed coding of the within the modules. That's excellent, and yeah, so we've 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 mapped out what we want the the software to do. Then we've built all the modules, and we're now implementing the all of those events. And, and then we're just getting stuck into putting the business logic into the software. And a, a, another tool that I'm, we're, we're looking at using uh, is, is Wover Labs Antidoc. Um, and this is a, a, a handy little tool to be able to use at the end of, you know, once we've started all this development, we can then generate the documentation uh, at, at the click of a button with Antidoc. Antidoc will basically um, then give us an opportunity to highlight any anything we've missed. We might be missing some connections. We might be missing some descriptions. But but not only that, we're also keeping a, a, a an up to date record of what we've developed. So yeah, look, that, thanks guys for clarifying how we go about our design. I, I wanted to talk about uh, also when when we're actually developing the code and and we're actually in integration mode trying to debug it. You know, there are a few things that we do as well, but we're going to touch on that a little later. So we'll we'll come back to that. Um, for now, what I'd like to talk about is 
learning DQMH. Kim, do you want to start to tell us about how we go about learning DQMH? Yeah, sure, Chris. Um, up until, you know, just recently, we've, um, we've basically been look, learning from online resources uh, on the internet and, and going through examples. We've, there's been some online videos. Uh, Karina from Invisenj put together uh, one uh, in the past um, and basically, you know, practicing DQMH in that way and then, you know, learning you know, within our projects. But um, just recently, we've actually put together a, uh, an internal training course or module specifically for DQMH. And in, in that uh, module, there's um, an, an example project that uh, is, a, is a simplified project. It, um, it, 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 show, it has the three different types of uh, message events. It's, um, you know, you're able to sort of work on it within a few, few hours, to go through it within a few hours. Um, there's background theory before you actually go in and, and uh, work on that, on that project. And there's a, there's a video, video um, PowerPoint presentation that, um, that goes through the construction of that project. Uh, and that's that's what we've just um, just started using in the last last sort of six weeks or so. Mm. So obviously the content of, of our internal course, you know, it leans heavily on on the on the content that's already there available on on the Delacor website. But I think the difference is we've just taken a lot of that and we're sort of bringing it together in a way that's going to be effective for wide in. Um, because we're putting our own spin on top of it as well, That's uh, and 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 how we go about it in within our team. Parag, I mean, you you know, you're fairly new to DQMH. Can you tell us talk about the learning process you've been on and 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 how you found it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, so I started learning DQMH uh, using the uh, web resources, you know, different uh, videos and uh, documents available uh, on the DQMH. But eventually, when I um, was given the in our uh, wired in uh, DQMH course, then uh, I find it really useful because it gives you all all the material at at one in a one course, and also at the same time it introduces you uh, in a um, sequential manner all the concepts and uh, ideas you need to you need to learn on as a dqmh framework and with that uh, you can taste your understanding while deploying a very simple applications using dqmh so that really gives you a full 365 degree uh, understanding yeah. of of dqmh and that really helped me a lot with understanding good practices and fundamental concept with the framework. Awesome. Would you say you know you you know it well enough now, or do you think you're still there's still a bit of learning to do? I'm much much more confident to use in a different uh, uh, professional project capacity now, uh, but definitely uh, learning will yep. take place as as you use it more and more. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's, there's a lot of the little subtleties that you know that we uh, that's that take the longest. I think just to you know, to get the eighty percent, it's fine. But it's getting that last twenty percent just takes a little bit longer to to, to work that out. And, and I think I still am learning um, myself. Sure. Stuart, what about you? What can you add to the learning discussion? Um, I think it's uh, it's probably worth mentioning the um, the learning badges that NI makes available. For sure. Um, yeah. There's one, I'm sure um, most people listening to this podcast are aware that there is a DQMH um, badge, but I think it's probably worth emphasising that um, it is a good test of your understanding of DQMH and um, quite possibly highlights if there's any, like all the other badges, it probably highlights if there's any other... Um, areas that um, you may need to just revisit. Um, I certainly I, I certainly found um, it very beneficial um, and gave me that, that feedback 
to say, yeah, you know what, I, I actually do know what I'm talking about with this um, DQMH business and um, gave me yeah. the confidence awesome. to, to move forward. Yeah. Good, Stuart. Thank you. On the whole, DQMH is a f- pretty easy tool to learn and, and and get going with. I think that's one of the, the, the main reasons it's been so well embraced by the community is that people have been able to teach themselves how to use it. There's a lot of good material out there on online. But in my personal opinion is I'd love to see an online course for DQMH one day. I've talked to Fabiola a bit about this and, you know, she would love to see that too, but it's just one of those things that um, hasn't happened yet. But I'd really love to see an online, official online course for DQMH. That would be that would be a, a, a great step, I think. But moving on, guys, um, let's talk about some of the challenges we face when we're coding with DQMH. I want to provide a bit of a balanced view here. So sometimes things aren't always peachy keen and rosy. So I just want to touch on some of the challenges. The first point I'd like to raise is um, the hierarchy. When you're mapping out your hierarchy and messaging between modules, I've, I've said this before in previous podcast episodes, and I'm going to say it again. When I first started doing DQMH, I just sort of treated every module as a free-for-all and any module could talk to any module and, you know, it, it, it didn't matter. They were all independent little uh, asynchronous modules running in their own right and you could just talk, anything could talk to anything. And I soon realized that that was really hard to manage. And um, so we've, we've come up with a more of a hierarchical approach where modules will have parents uh, well, there'll be parent-children kind of relationships, and and by doing this, we're 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 ensuring that you know we've got a bit more loose coupling. You know, otherwise, what you end up with is a lot of cro- cross dependencies between the modules, um, and you can get yourself into a, a, a real mess. So what we've what we're doing now is 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 trying not to have modules talking to everybody. Uh, and anybody. Instead, we've got a structure in place. We'll have an application at the top, which probably talks to everything. And then we'll have um, a tier under that and then another tier under that. And so it's a tiered hierarchical approach rather than a, a star communication pattern. Um, that's that's certainly one of the things that you know we learned early on was, um, was important for developing our applications. Kim, have you got any uh, thoughts on on what a, what is challenging when you're writing DQMH? Yeah, sure. I just want to add to what you just said, Chris. That you know, in in that you know, when when the module hierarchy and the messaging is is laid out in the right kind of a way, um, you know, we're able to reuse modules that are say children modules. We're able to um, take them and use them in other projects because they're, they're for example, they're just broadcasting data up to the parent. So, you know, they don't have, uh, they're not coupled to the parent. So, yeah. But it's, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was um, just a registration of events within, say, the parent, the top module. Um, mm. Because uh, the top module, the, the way that we've been developing our more recent projects, we have our, our, our top level module uh, launching our uh, its children modules and 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 the children modules launch their children modules, etc. Um, what happens is that when you first start off the um, the parent module, um, the the children modules aren't um, aren't all launched um, at the start, and so their uh, registrations um, aren't um, aren't fully um, you know they're basically they've got null refnums in in their um in their uh, registration events and so uh, you basically have to at a later point when all your modules are launched you have to go and refresh the registrations inside your your top level module so that you then have all your children and their, their children modules registrations um you know fresh and and workable so that was something that we sort of learnt that we 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 we've been caught out on in in the past in the early days when we would um, not get the launching of our modules in the right sequence. Um, mm. it, it would be a, create a problem with the registration of events. So yeah, and that's that's the, the way we get around it now is we we basically the final module that gets launched 
it then triggers a, a, reg, a registration of all the 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 the, um, the, the events within the, its the, the children modules. Uh, and it, it, this is a fairly common kind of conversation that pops up on the DQMH forums from time to time too. This one, yeah, Stuart. Uh, look, when I was um, certainly when I was starting out with DQMH. In fact, the first project that I had, it was um, the just, I don't know how many DQMH modules we actually had. It was probably six or seven. Trying to debug the application, particularly when you're new to DQMH, I actually found a little bit challenging. Um, the tester APIs, you know, they're, they're really good and you can use them to to snoop in on your um, individual modules mm-hmm. as, as they execute. But as a as a collective, as a, at a system level, I needed to, uh, in a few instances, I needed to ensure that, um, you know, the messages were being, um, that the, the, the entire messaging system was um, quite robust. If I, had a, if I had a configuration change, a setting change in the configuration module, I needed to make sure that the, uh, the changes to the, to the settings were being carried through to the right module, which might be, you know, two or three modules away um, in the hierarchy. Um, so, uh, or as another example, you know, you, you press the exit button, um, you want to make sure that all of the um, exit requests are being carried through to the uh, each individual module correctly. So, <clears throat> what I did um, in order to verify all of that was I created my own little tool which I, I called DQMH monitor which registered for broadcasts for each of the modules which meant that every time I created a new module I needed to update the DQMH monitor to um, ensure that it was capturing the broadcasts for that module but I created a specific broadcast event for each module that um, its only purpose was to sit there in the message handling loop and capture, or sorry, capture and broadcast each message handling event that would be then broadcast out to the DQMH monitor, which in turn would capture those broadcasts and, and display them. And from that, um, you know, I could see the, the I could trace through uh, system level events as opposed to mm. um, events happening in, in individual modules. Yeah, you could see it. You could get a bird's eye view of everything. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a handy tool to analyze it. You're sort of seeing a real-time execution flow of what, what your application yeah, absolutely. is doing. And, and going back to what I was saying before, it's one of those things that um, allows you to, to pick up uh, on, you know, just those little things that you might have missed here and there. Um, there are probably two or three bugs that... Um, quite possibly would have taken me some time to to find if it wasn't for that. Mm, good points. And I think there's been a bit of discussion about that in the forum lately too. Yeah. What about editing event payloads, Stuart? You mentioned that the other day to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I guess it's just a natural um, a natural thing when, uh, in the software development life cycle. You, you start off with... Um, you know, one design, uh, one set of messages, you know, going back to the message architecture spreadsheet, you you design out all your messages and so forth, and, and that's great. Um, but in the natural progression of software development, you know, things change. And um, I found that the, you know, the request that I'd defined earlier, maybe that's not what I wanted. Um, you know, I need to add in, an extra field into the payload or even just things like, um, you know, I don't want that as a request anymore. I want it as a request and reply. Now, I don't know if there yeah. are, if there are better solutions out there, maybe someone's got, um, a better approach, but, um, certainly for me, one of the, the challenges that I faced is if I need to, if I need to modify something that I've already defined, I'm yeah. going, going yeah. through and, um, and manually changing the type defs and the, uh, I need to ensure that I, you know, if there's a new message, uh, sorry, a new um, field in the payload that I've got the, 
uh, the terminal wired up correctly on the on the request API and and so forth and that that gets a little tedious but also requires a bit of discipline making sure that you you're across what you need yeah fair enough good to be um, frank and open on on what what challenges there are facing dqmh we're getting to the end of the podcast. I want to say that, that it's been great fun having you guys, having my own team here on the podcast. And um, it's I've really enjoyed uh, the DQMH journey with you all. But speaking of journeys, you know, what's next for DQMH? You know, what's the future? What does the future hold in your eyes uh, and the journey that Wyden is on with regard to DQMH? Kim, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think uh, definitely that um, you know I'd like to see more in the in the education and training side with um, you know um, some official courses um, out there for everyone, and and I'd also like to see I'd like to see us at Wide In using um, a little bit more scripting with DQH, so. Um, and uh, seeing if we can take that, take it down that path a little bit. Um, yeah, that'd be great. In the last episode, um, we talked to NeoSoft, and um, they uh, are putting their own scripting automation tools on top of DQMH. So, yeah, I think I think that's something we certainly can look into. Um, from my perspective as well, over the last 12, 18 months. Uh, I've I worked a little bit with Mikhail Holmstrom from um, who who who's one of the main guys that looks after Open Open GDS, and so people who are familiar with GDS, which or, which stands for Goop Development Suite, um, or Open GDS, um, which is the open source version of GDS. Mikhail has been managing that, and and part of one of the main tools that I love about Open GDS is the uh, UML modeler. And Mikhail was starting to explore how we could create DQMH module diagrams within um, the UML modeler. Obviously, it's not UML anymore. It's more um, creating DQMH module diagrams. But, uh, yeah, we were starting to play around with that. So I think where some improvement could come is in the design tools where we can design an application. At the moment, DQMH is excellent for creating modules and creating events, but I think it, the next step is creating an application and, and mapping out an application at the beginning, which is what you're alluding to there, Kitten, with your scripting, being able to yeah. automate that a bit and hooking that at, hooking that in with the design process. So putting together, harking back to what we said earlier, developing our module hierarchy like Parag mentioned and then creating a um, messaging architecture that, that um, defines all the events between each module. Um, having a tool that combines those two things and then allows us to um, automate the generation of that without losing touch with the important things that uh, Fabiola loves about DQMH, and that's the testing and the test-driven development approach and making sure that you you test and you code. That's that's really important that we don't lose sight of that. But anyway, there's opportunities there. Can I just say that, to what that Chris mm. say that that tool would be even better if it could track the uh, additional changes that we make when we add new events to our, our modules, and then feed that back into the documentation that uh, originally was used to design the application. How good would that be? It, it would. Uh, it would take it to the next level and even if you know something like what Stuart was talking about before he was talking about um, his DQMH monitor tool where he was tracing all the events across the entire application uh, you know that that sort of tool making that an official part of DQMH or an add-on to DQMH I think would be a huge benefit as well that that's that's just native to DQMH um, is something that I think the, the, the community would benefit from. Parag, you know, what do you see, you know, what's next in our journey at Wide In? Uh, I think uh, we should come up with the DQMS uh, template, internal template, which can be used across different projects. So uh, initial task of creating 
different modules and setting up a initial structure of the project uh, becomes standardized and seamless across different mm. different projects. Uh, that would be a great great step forward, I think. Yeah, well, it's something we have started doing, but we we need to concrete that down. I think um, we we already have a project template, but uh, like I think uh, there's you know what about like. Um, templates for the stuff you're doing, for instance, Parag, you know, we, you've been doing all these web services. It'd be good to have that as a template um, and creating more templates for some of the common modules like our database module and things like that. I think that's areas we can we can ex- certainly build up our own internal reuse capability. Definitely, yes. Mm. Yep. Well, guys, it's been a real pleasure to have you on uh, our podcast. If, is there any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I think I'd probably just like to throw in something that literally just before this, um, we started recording this podcast, one of our clients sent a, a message, um, a text message to me. I don't think I'm breaking any non-disclosure agreements by actually quoting this, but word for word, our client, having looked at our code, his quote was, the more I use DQMH, the more I love it which is um, just fantastic to hear. It's um, This is someone who, who hasn't been exposed to DQMH before he gets in there. He's, he's analysing our code. He can, he can just see what's going on and he can see the benefits of it uh, right there and then. And it's, um, it's great to get that sort of feedback. Absolutely. And, and um, it's really good because a lot of the projects that we do at Wired In, you know, the majority of our customers aren't necessarily LabVIEW programmers, right? They're, we're usually delivering a turnkey solution for a customer that couldn't care less about whether we use LabVIEW or something else. So um, we don't get a chance to hear that from our customers. So in this particular case, they they are a LabVIEW slash test stand developer as well. And they're looking at what we've done and said, hey, DQMH, way to go. So that's, yeah, great, great to finish on that, Stuart. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, it's been a blast and thank you for your uh, time today and thank you for your awesome work at Wired in Software as well. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris.